The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Today we are concluding our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's our last week looking at this most famous collection of teachings of Jesus. And uh, you've probably noticed that we have not uh, looked at the entire sermon during the weeks that we've been doing this. We've just picked out a few little sections of it. And so I would definitely encourage you, if you haven't done so, and, and actually even if you have, to spend some time reading the entire sermon. Um, one of the things we'll see today is how the different parts of it may relate to the parts that follow and the parts that precede it. So it's always good when you have a section of Scripture like this to read the whole thing. And we don't often have time to expound upon two entire chapters of the Bible during a 30-minute sermon at church, but uh, I definitely recommend you look through Matthew 5 through 7. Read the whole thing in one sitting um, when you get a chance to do that. And so remember our theme verse for this series comes from the very end of the narrative, the very end of chapter 7. The last two verses explain the, the crowd's response to this sermon. 7, 28 and 29 says, Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as their scribes. And so that's the lens through which we've been looking at all of the passages in the Sermon on the Mount during this series. Jesus as the true teacher of the faith, the faith that was handed down to Abraham, that was uh, clarified and uh, refined in the law, given to Moses, but only truly fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's what this Sermon on the Mount is really about. Jesus uh, defining and fulfilling uh, the faith of his people. And so what I'd like to do for today's passage, um, when we look at this, I want to look at it a little piece at a time, uh, because I think there's three different layers of meaning that we might be able to find from today's passage, um, which is one of the, I mean, these, all of the Sermon on the Mount is famous stuff. Uh, this is some of the most famous, and I, I would bet that almost all of you will recognize this. Um, and so we'll look at it in these three layers, and uh, hopefully um, we'll learn not just more about this specific lesson that Jesus is teaching in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, but also some general guidelines for, for you to use when you're reading the Bible on your own. So... Here's the first layer. The first layer, to do that, we'll need to look at Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Now, you're more than welcome to follow along with your, the Bibles that are under your chair, or if you brought one with you, you can, of course, use that. If you are using a red Bible, it's page 787. Um, but this text isn't on the screen, so if you're a visual person, you're going to want to grab a Bible. So let's read verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So you've all heard that passage, or parts of it, right? even if it's just that little bit, ye of little faith, right? And the reason that it says ye is in, the, in, the, in King James English, we actually have two different pronouns for you. We have a singular one, which is you, and a plural one, which is ye. So if you ever hear ye, it's just Jesus talking to a group of people. But in the more modern translations, it's you either way, because um, we don't say ye very often. And this, the message is fairly simple. I mean, this is one of those cases where I'm... I'm charged with the task of giving a sermon about a sermon, except the sermon that I'm giving a sermon about was preached by somebody who's obviously much more qualified to give sermons than I am. Um, so in some ways, what can I say about that, right? I mean, it's a, it's a rather beautiful metaphor, and it ties us all to the rest of creation and God's provision and undergirding of all of it. And the simple message is that God will provide for your needs, right? Did anybody miss that? (laughs) Did anybody need me to tell you that? And that's a very important message. I I would never uh, say that we shouldn't think about that, right? God will provide for your needs, and it's important to trust in him. But if we peel away that first layer, I think we can find something even more important, perhaps, underneath. You, um, you may not know this, but we, uh, this Sermon on the Mount series is loosely based on the lectionary readings that happened for February, right? When Mike and I were talking about what sermon series we wanted to schedule out for the beginning of this calendar year, we looked ahead through the lectionary, and we didn't really necessarily care for what was going on right now, so we just sort of shifted some stuff ahead a little bit. That's, that's kind of how we do things here. Um, we figured the Sermon on the Mount would be a great way to start the year, basically. And so um, the, the passage that the lectionary prescribes for whatever Sunday this would be in February, if we were actually there, actually begins with the verse before verse 25. I started with verse 25, but the lectionary actually asks for verse 24. And if those of you who've, who've been around here a while you may have had some alarm bells go off when I started reading at verse 25 because what's the first word of verse 25? And what's the question that we're going to ask? That's right. What is the therefore, therefore? Right? That's one of the first rules of understanding the Bible. If you see therefore, it's not really fair to start there. 
because it's necessarily tying it to what comes before. And if we want to look at what we've just read in the context of the verse that comes right before it, things get a little bit dicier, okay? Verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And what does he mean? What he's, well, he says, You cannot serve both God and wealth. Right? Now, I think we very much want to let that verse stand on its own. Right? Do not interrupt my nice, peaceful passage about God providing us for us with this kind of harsh thing that he says about you can't serve God and wealth. Right? Let's keep those separate, shall we? Except you can't because it's right after he says this that he says, therefore, do not worry about your life. So what is the connection? Well, I would suggest that verse 24 is kind of like the topic sentence for what happens after it. Right? Remember when you were writing in school, you would say you have to write the first sentence of your paragraph should be your topic sentence, right? And if you have stuff in that paragraph that doesn't fit the topic sentence, then you need to move it to a different paragraph. We've got to organize our writing very neatly, children. So this, I think, is the topic sentence. Now, remember, I've said this a bunch of times during this series. I say it a lot, actually. These section headings that you see, those are editorial, right? Those are not part of the original Greek manuscript. So the fact that some Bible editor who's, let's be honest, like way smarter than me, um, separated these out doesn't necessarily mean that they're supposed to be separate ideas. The original text would just be a block of letters, and they've kind of figured out where the words stop and where the sentences stop and where the paragraphs stop, and then they think, okay, these paragraphs are a section, and they put a little heading on it, right? But I think it's the topic sentence for what follows. Very simply, he says, you can't serve both God and wealth. And then he defines what it means to serve wealth. Now, if we, if, we were, if we were to allow ourselves to let that stand on its own, we might, we might have some kind of populist statement to make about the wealthy, right? Well, of course you can't serve both God and Enron, right? <laughs> you know, of course Bill Gates can't serve God. Um, he writes such crappy software, you know. I mean, <laughs> has so much money. Um, But he defines wealth this way, worrying about your needs, about your food, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your clothing, what you're going to wear. You can't serve both God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about these things. So it's not just a simple spiritual lesson about how God wants to provide for us. That's nice, and it's true on some level, but instead it's, it's actually, it seems to me, a rather stark accusation about how lacking our trust is in the provision of God. When we worry about all the things that we need, we are violating the topic sentence of, of this little section here. Let me take it one step further. 
I would go so far as to say that what Jesus seems to be saying is that the constant quest for stuff, right, which we all like, we like us some stuff, but even when it's good stuff, the stuff that we need to survive, the constant quest and struggle for that is a form of idolatry. Why do I say that? Well, because Jesus has said there are, there, you can only serve one master. There's only one God, right? You can't serve both the God of wealth and the God who sustains the universe, from sparrows to lilies to all of humanity. So this second layer is maybe a little bit less inspirational than the first one. You know, we don't necessarily want to put this idolatry accusation on a fancy poster with, you know, a picture of a lake with an eagle soaring over it or a flower blossoming in a field, right? Now, as always, we need, we need to strike a, an appropriate balance and we have to be careful of this, that we don't stop trying and call that trusting God, right? Do you know people who've done this? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't need to make a budget. God's going to provide. Your beatdown is coming soon. <laughs> we have to get to that third layer. <laughs> you can't just be careless and expect God to clean up your mess for you every time, right? You have to grow up at some point. There's a difference between being intentional about your needs and the money that you'll use to purchase them and failing to trust in God. So that's the balance you have to, have to strike. So when you see that word, therefore, you have to go back at least one verse, right? And we've gone back that one verse. Maybe we didn't like what we found, but we went back the one verse. I would suggest that we might even want to go back further in this passage. Is there anything else in the preceding six or seven verses that also talks about things like money and our needs? Well, if you look at the section headings in this particular uh, translation that I'm using, you have the serving two masters we just talked about, the sound eye, I don't know what that means, concerning treasures. Oh, okay. Maybe that might be connected to this other discussion, right? So let's go back and look at that starting in verse 19. What I think we're going to find is some other teaching of Jesus that's going to support and undergird and, and color what we've just looked at. And in fact, I think it's, it's crucial to understanding what I believe is really the whole point of this section, this whole section of Scripture. So let's look at Verse 19, and we'll read through to where we just started before at 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moss and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. 
sometimes Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says things that they could be forgiven for not quite understanding. It's a little bit abstract or complicated or it just blows their spiritual minds. And then there's other times, like verse 19, where he says something that you would have to be completely stupid not to get. Now, obeying it is a different story. It's not that you're stupid if you don't obey it. But if you don't get it, I'm not sure I can say much to help you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's fairly straight ahead, right? For once Jesus has given us a clear command... And that clear command is about a particular action that we ought to take or not take. This is one of those cases where the the Bible seems to suggest that this is on us, right? This is our responsibility. This is not one of those cases where you can just say, well, I'm sure God will lead me. And here's the other thing with this. When we read... Verse 21, which is, you know, this is the, the, the quotable of that little paragraph. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is one of those passages, one of those verses in the Bible where I think we read it and we, there's something that screws it up in our brain. And we immediately flip it around and interpret it almost 100% wrong. Have you ever read that verse, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and thought, Oh, we just need to fix our hearts so that we won't be obsessed with the treasures of the world, right? Is that, maybe that's what you thought this time. I confess that that's what I think sometimes when I read that verse. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So I need to fix my heart. That way I won't be so worried about all my money. No, it's the exact opposite. Jesus is not making some vague spiritual aphorism that would work well as a Facebook status. He is simply saying that there's a reality. Wherever you put your treasure, that is where your heart will be. You don't change your heart so you stop fixating on the treasure. You stop fixating on the treasure so that your heart will change. Take just a minute and turn to the person next to you and share with them some really, really cool thing that you would like to buy. This shouldn't be very hard, right? If you're like me, you already have a list. I mean a literal list written on paper of the things that you would buy in order (laughs) if you had the money. So if you had, say, $1,000 to spend on something really cool, what would it be? Turn to your neighbor, take just a minute and share one with the other what that would be. Okay, so that was easy, right? How, 
I said one thing. Share one thing. <laughs> That's the most fun you've had in church in a year, right? <laughs> no, we're not raising the amount. You just get the thousand bucks. Don't be greedy. Okay, so somebody shout it out. What, what, was, what was the thing that you would buy? A Canon D9000, a camera, and a nice one. Yeah, so if you had that Canon D9000, what's your camera right now? A D70? <laughs> That's nicer than my camera. Um, okay, so do you ever let your kids play with the D70? What if it was the D9000? <laughs> For those of you listening on the podcast, um, my friend Brian... My friend Brian said, heck no. <laughs> okay, interesting. What's another one? A Blackberry? Come on. <laughs> A Blackberry, okay. All right. What's your phone right now, John? A Nokia. Does it flip? <laughs> it doesn't even flip. <laughs> Does it have that little green screen on it? Can you play the Caterpillar game? <laughs> okay, so if you had a Blackberry... Would you, end up, would you buy a case for it, do you think? Maybe? Maybe? Would you, would you be sure that you didn't have any change in your pocket when you stuck your phone in there so it doesn't scratch up the screen? Right? Maybe. <laughs> now that I mention it, yeah. Okay, one or two more. What are some other... You guys, like, nobody wants a guitar? Okay, so there's two guitarists out here who want a guitar. There's a cruise up here. The eye saw. I don't know what that is. Wait, your saw has online digital capabilities? <laughs> oh, the one you want has. <laughs> wow. Any angle on the planet. So all 360 of them, huh? Wow. So let me ask you this. If you got this fancy saw, would you buy a case for it? <laughs> a truck? Oh, oh, so you need to have a, a different truck to put it in? Now we're talking. Now we need more money, right? You, guitar, you guys both have nice guitars already, but, you know, for a guy like me who doesn't have any nice guitars, if I were to buy a nice guitar, and then, is Abel in here? No, okay. So right now it's okay if he comes over and bangs on my guitar, but if I had a nice guitar, no. Let the children come to someone else, <laughs> right? You see what I'm getting at? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And it affects the way you interact with your children and with your friends and with your spouse and with everything. The nicer your stuff is, the more grinchy you become. This is why I think he says the eye is the lamp of the body. Remember that little middle section there? If the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What does he mean that the eye is healthy? Well, I think it might have something to do with the way our eyes get all twisty when we see something that we want, right? If I go in the Apple store and see that iPad there, my eyes just do that cartoony, like, twisty thing, right? (laughs) And no way 
Is some grubby little fingerprinty kid going to touch that <laughs> if I bring it home? And by the way, this treasure and heart stuff is not just for rich people. Not just for things that we buy and own. In fact, I think it even applies to people who have a negative net worth, which if you went to college, you probably do. Your treasure might be with a camera or a guitar or a fancy saw, but it might also be with Freddie Mac or Sally Mae or Bank of America or Capital One. I don't want to go all Dave Ramsey on you necessarily, but that verse in Proverbs really does begin to stand out at that point, that the borrower is the slave to the lender. And your treasure, you might have actual treasure, a nice car, a nice house, gold bars that you got from Glenn Beck. (laughs) But you might not have that. You might have negative treasure, and guess what? Your heart is there, too. When you have to write that check every month, or those eight checks every month, depending on how much debt you carry, your heart is bound up, chained. And so if you're living off your credit rating, spending a bunch of money you don't have, I think you're just as misguided as the wealthy person who's got all the money in the world and hoards things. His or her heart is all tied up in their treasure. Your heart is tied up in your credit card statements. Either way, Jesus' teaching applies. So that's the third layer. Sometimes when we go three layers deep, we wish we had just stuck with the first layer. When we just had that nice, peaceful, consider the lilies, right? Don't worry. But the thing is, you have to look at both sides of this. And so all this other, these deeper layer things that I've been talking about and kind of being mean to you about a little bit, they speak to the absolute necessity of your personal responsibility for your life. In this case, particularly your financial life. But they do not erase that first layer. They help us understand it. They give us a lens for it. But the basic truth that God will provide for your needs and that you ought not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has its own worries, that's not going away. And with almost anything in Scripture, there's a risk of being out of balance when you look too heavily at one side of it or too heavily at the other side of it. And so you have to recognize the tension that exists. It requires a certain spiritual agility. A willingness to work hard at balancing those two ideas of trusting in God for His provision and being wise with our money and our treasures and being aware of how the choices that we make, not what God does, but what we do, affect our spirits, and affect our souls, and in fact affect our ability to receive that provision from God. 
And so you may hear those two different messages this morning, and I think that you have to be careful that you don't choose to believe only one or the other of them, according to what's more comfortable for you or whatever it might be. As we go toward communion, I want to read to you another passage from the uh, lectionary passages that are associated with this part of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's Isaiah 49, 8 through 15. Just hear these words. These are just some of those really profound, meaningful words. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. On a day of salvation, I have helped you. I have kept you and given you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the ways. On all the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them down. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will turn all my mountains into a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Lo, these shall come from far away, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Siena. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his suffering ones. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And so for those of you who may feel this side of things a little bit too closely right now. You're, you're concerned that you won't be able to provide for your family, for your own needs. Hear those words from Isaiah. That God is like a mother carrying you in her womb, supporting you, sustaining you by her very existence. And take comfort in the fact that God cares for the lilies and the sparrows, and he'll care for you as well. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your provision in our lives. Thank you for providing uh, for our needs and hunger and thirst and for clothing. We pray that you would give those who are struggling the courage that they need to trust in that provision. And convict us of the times when we violate that truth, that topic sentence, that you can't serve both God and wealth. And we get so worried and caught up about how to provide for our today and tomorrow and the day after that we fail to serve you, the one true God who sustains us. 
Help us to store up our treasures in heaven rather than on earth so that our hearts will be secure with you rather than fleeting from one material desire to the next. And in all these things, may it draw us closer to you, make us more able to serve you and our fellow man and fellow woman, fulfilling the calling of our Lord Jesus Christ on our lives. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, um, our response to the word of God is always to go to the table of God. And so as we continue to worship together in song, um, you are invited to come participate in Holy Communion. And you don't have to be a member of this church to take part. You have to be a member of God's family and seeking to follow Jesus. And if you are a parent who would like to take communion with your children, that's also okay. Um, Even if you want to take communion first, we do ask that you please go pick them up and uh, have them with you during the last part of our service. And if you are what we might call a seeker, somebody who's just trying to figure this out, who maybe has not decided that Jesus is the way and he's not the one that you're following just yet, it's okay to observe this part of the service, to sit and meditate and pray. Um, Nobody will look sideways at you if you don't participate in in communion. Um, You're welcome to be here wherever you're at. Um, And so wherever that might be, uh, engage with God by his Holy Spirit and come as you're called. We'll continue to worship together. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.